everyone. Welcome to episode 81 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast to ever get locked out of Collins's apartment. <laughs> Too soon, Chris. Too soon. <laughs> it happened like 10 minutes ago. But I'm mentally recovered. Yeah, right? okay, fair. All right. Fair. Yeah. Special focus on the SCG Tour. We are your hosts. I'm Chris Castor-Apple. With me as always, Collins Mullen. How's it going? It's going good. How are yeah. you, Collins? Well, great. Cool. Uh, we successfully re-entered my apartment after getting locked out, so that's, you know... Fantastic. Great news. Yep, my my belly is full of cookout. Yep, we're, yeah. We're all set. <laughs> totally ready to record. Yeah. Alright, so this week we are going to talk about a bunch of stuff. We're going to catch a little bit back up on Standard, just because some things have happened and I have to eat some crow and that sort of thing. Oh, yeah. Uh, Same. <laughs> it's alright. That's alright. But hopefully we're mostly going to be focusing on modern, because we haven't talked about modern in a while. We're about to hit some modern season stuff. I mean, I know that the next SCG event is Syracuse in a couple of weeks, and that's Legacy, but at least for me, the tournaments I'm playing for the next couple of weeks are modern PTQs on Magic Online, and then regionals, which is modern. So so that's that's what I'm going to be thinking of, so I wanted to start sharing thoughts about that. Yep. Um, definitely a good plan. Yeah. So before we get too into it, definitely want to thank our patrons. So thanks so much for your support. We really appreciate it. Have done a bad job of uh, calling out our new patrons over the past couple of weeks. But Adrian, Ben, and Mikolaj, thank you very much for your support. Really appreciate it. It's super, super helpful. So let's start off with a Keeper Mall. This is a modern Keeper Mall. This is from Baltimore. Two weeks ago, from the modern seat, I was watching Lee, and he asked me if I should keep this hand, and I pretty much said, you're the person who knows how to play this deck. I am not. Uh, but this is... So Lee played the War of Invention prison deck, the Artifact prison deck. Yep. This is game three against Eldrazi and Taxes, and we are playing playing the Thopter Sword version of the deck, um, but it's post-board, it's game three, and we need to win relatively quickly. I think we only we have like like 14 minutes or so, mm-hmm. which is not a lot of time with this deck. So we have lots of Tesserets and Aether Grids in our deck to, to do that with. Yeah. Um, we're on the draw, we mulliganed our first hand, and our six cards is Glimmer Void, Spire of Industry, Spire of Industry, Spire Bluff Canal, Dark Slick Shores, and a Pithing Needle. So this is... Five lands and a Pithing Needle. Yeah, not the best. <laughs> not the best. And if you're playing a normal deck, and like Pithing Needle is a sideboard card against something your opponent is doing, this is obviously not keepable. Yeah. Um, if I'm a deck that has like removal and creatures in it, and also Pithing Needle to shut down a Planeswalker or something, this is clearly not a thing that I can do. But this is kind of similar to what we talked about last week, when you're playing a deck like this, this prison deck, you're always setting up a plan. Mm-hmm. And from, I mean, with every deck you're setting up a plan. Yeah. But with the prison deck, you really have to be visualizing that from like turn one of the game. Because what you're doing is you are choosing the method by which you are locking your opponent out. Mm-hmm. And you have to understand which components are necessary for that lock. Right. So Death and Taxes is a creature deck, yeah. which means that we need to get Ensnaring Bridge down. Yeah. And the second part of getting Ensnaring Bridge down is that you have to protect it from whichever methods they have to remove it. One of Death and Taxes' main methods of removing it 
is using a Flicker Wisp to get rid of it for a turn so they can attack. And if they don't have 20 power to attack with that turn or however much they need, um, one of the things that they can also do is use Eldrazi Displacer to use the Flicker Wisp again. Yeah. Also, Eldrazi Displacer does a lot of stuff with Thought Not Seers and the other comes into play guys that they have access to. Right. So that card is a very valuable creature in the matchup. So our Pithing Needle, it really had Eldrazi Displacer. All of our Pithing Needles have Eldrazi Displacer written on them, and it's yeah. part of the lock that we're trying to put into place. Yeah. That on its own is not making this a hand that we're like, ooh, baby. Here we go. Yeah. But the other thing that this hand is offering us is, number one, we are not very vulnerable to their mana constraining plan. Even if they, you know, ghost quarter us or tech edge us or something like that, we really are not low on lands. Athalia is not going to strand a bunch of cards in our hand, which would be a disaster on five if you have, like, one land and then they put Athalia into play. Um, So this hand is kind of immune to that. And it's also quite immune to Thought Not Seer. Any Thought Not Seer that they play is not stealing a card from us. Right. (laughs) Um, We do need to luck into drawing a bridge or a way to find a bridge. Yeah. But you have to luck into getting a five-card hand that can actually accomplish very much. Right. Um, So Lee decided that this hand with the scry was going to be better odds of winning the game on the draw than a random five card hand um and i trusted him because he knows how to play these decks yeah and you know afterward we talked about this a lot and his explanation really did make a lot of sense to me yeah um we did win that game (laughs) nice but not that that's what makes this right right. the correct decision well i'm curious to see how do you remember how the game played out so we i mean we found an ensnaring bridge Right on time. Great. Um, you know, we we played land every turn, and then the, the deck doesn't run that many lands, yeah, so we yeah. mostly drew spells after this, right? Um, including a, a, like you know at least one welding jar, um, which is not that important in the matchup because the way they disenchant you is with like relic warder and stuff. Sure. Um, but you know, so the important lock pieces for us to get into play to completely lock the game out is basically if we got an ensnaring bridge and a torpor orb into play. There, that was likely the hard lock against pretty much whatever configuration of death and taxes they were running. Right. Um, and so that's that's what the goal was. And I don't remember exactly how we got there, but we got the bridge in like one turn before we were going to die. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> Classic. And we got the torpor orb in pretty quickly after that. And then we just waited, you know, accumulated a mass of artifacts, found a Tezzeret, used that to ult. That'll do it. Um, and then... The, the judge that was watching the entire time, and our, our opponents were, I think, not used to playing against this deck, sure. so they were spending a fair amount of time deciding between kind of meaningless plays. Yeah. Um, which, like, I, I can kind of understand when you don't really know what could become relevant mm-hmm. in a matchup, um, but it was a little funny that the judge was standing behind them the entire time as they were, I felt, taking a little bit too much time to make many of these decisions, and then the first time he said anything was at the end of the game after we ulted our Tezzeret and like we were both picking up all of our, both teams were picking up all their cards. The first thing the judge says is, "Wait, how did you attack with that ensnaring bridge in play?" 
Which is, oh, there just aren't attacks happening. Just, there were no attacks happening. That right. wasn't relevant to what was going on. But uh, I know I know that judge was just trying their best to, to yeah. maintain game state and, and yeah. that sort of thing. But it was a little bit funny. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's always interesting kind of being on the other end of the table, right? Because even though... I know that I'm making a lot of menial plays, mm-hmm. and they don't really matter. It, you always have that like feeling that maybe you can get out of this in some way right. against these prison texts. You're like, maybe there's a chance. Maybe I can <laughs> yeah. find a way. And <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, so I totally you know empathize with that perspective. But yeah. yeah, yeah, but yeah. So you know these prison decks are not my style, but it was always kind of interesting to look over and see what exactly Lee was doing to lock different decks mm-hmm. out. And some decks are basically impossible to lock out. Blue White Control has too many Planeswalkers and too many answers to Pithing Needle, and you just can't do it. But once we got that Torpor Orb into play against Death and Taxes, I just thought, I don't think that there's literally any card that these decks are capable, you know, that that any, if I went on Goldfish and scrolled through 15 of these decks, Mm -hmm. I don't think I'd find a card that answers the situation. So (laughs) Yeah, that's actually the same play. Yeah. You know, maybe they have a disenchant or something, like actual... They they could play Alter's Light or whatever that thing is that, like, exiles two artifacts or something. Oh, yeah, But that's not, you know, none (laughs) of the actual cards do it. So... Right. No no Shatterstorm out of their deck. (sighs) We did lose a match to Shatterstorm. (laughs) You will. (laughs) The deck is purely a... um, uh, welding jar <laughs> yeah. deck. You're really just trying to regenerate your piece that matters, and you know some of these cards don't care about regeneration. Yeah, and we'll so we'll we'll talk about this deck a little bit. It's one of my bullet points in the modern okay. section. Great, but I figured we'd start with just a quick standard update, mm-hmm. and then we'll hit some more modern stuff. Um, so the thing I've got to eat crow about is <laughs> I specifically tweeted that playing mono blue in Dallas was a bad idea. Whoops. Uh, yeah, whoops. Yeah. yeah, well, I think that we were both pretty adamantly down on Mono Blue last week. Uh, but I think it's safe to say that we were wrong about that. Yeah. Yeah. It was tied for the most represented Day 2 deck mm-hmm. with uh, Esper Control, I believe. It won the tournament. There were two in the top eight. There were six in the top 25. It really was everywhere. It had... I believe, the highest win rate on day two of any of the day two decks. Um, You know, that's not a huge sample size because there's only 64 players in the room playing, uh, what, six rounds. So that's not a huge sample size, but it clearly held its own very well. Yeah. Um, So my reasoning behind why I didn't think Mono Blue would be successful this weekend, just to sort of explain where I was coming from and, and try to figure out where I went wrong so that I can do better in the future. Always good. So what I was seeing after Baltimore weekend in Standard was that the mid-range decks and the control decks were really trying to outvalue each other and really trying to do stuff like figure out if they could play main deck Thieves of Sanity and slow mm-hmm. themselves down, you know, have Eldest Reborn in the sideboard and that sort of thing in order to fight this, uh, th- this card advantage sort of slow value war with each other. Um, And I thought that the best way to take advantage of that would probably be by just going as low to the ground as an aggro deck as you possibly can. Yeah. The other way you can take advantage of that, and we we did mention this, is by playing a tempo deck that puts some power into play and then counter, you know, negates all your opponent's stuff. Like mono blue. Mono blue drakes. 
The reason that I was leaning towards an aggro deck there was an aggro deck takes advantage of similar changes in the metagame, but it wins the heads-up matchup against the tempo decks. Yeah, yeah. But that's just not quite what we saw play out, and though we did see Azorius aggro have a a completely acceptable weekend. Yeah, strong even. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it definitely wasn't up there with, with mono blue. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think that there a lot of factors kind of went into Mono Blue's big success, mm-hmm. and a lot of them were publicity. Uh, it felt like a lot of people through many many channels were pushing that they believed that Mono Blue was an excellent option for yeah, this weekend. I, you know, we saw articles on Star City um, and other. You know, people were tweeting about it. Game's uh, entire podcast was... Right, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so people were pushing Mono Blue going into this weekend. Yep. So I think that, you know, there was probably an elevated l- number of players registering Mono Blue at the tournament just because mm-hmm. of the hype that it had received. Yeah. But also that we, I guess, you know, the way that we were thinking about it, we probably went a level too far in our analysis of like how the metagame wheel was going to shift. Because mm-hmm. we, we were like, okay, everybody's trying to out-midrange each other. So what does that mean? That means that aggro is going to be successful. And in if aggro is being successful, then blue isn't going to be... You know, we, we took it a step further and said, okay, if that's happening, then this is going to happen or yeah. whatever. But we kind of failed to recognize that you know what else is really good against all these mid-range decks that are going to be everywhere? Yeah. Just, just mono blue. Just mono blue. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. So, we, you know, you don't really need to take it a level past that. And it's true that mono blue does have a bad matchup against red and mono white. Mm-hmm. But where were all the red decks? Not to be found. They yeah. did not. Zero red decks in day two. That's crazy. It's a little hard for me to explain. I know that Esper control basically... Basically destroys mono red. Yeah, I don't. I I feel like every other deck that I could be playing, mono red is definitely not better than a coin flip. Um, and so to have none make day two, it it had to really get demolished. Yeah, part of what I expect happened there is that mono red has a medium minus matchup against all of the mid range decks mm-hmm. and a pretty bad matchup against Esper Control. Yeah, and uh, you know if if the popularity of both of those strategies were high enough Mm -hmm. then i could i could see you know kind of going back to the re-leveling aspect where if our expectation is that everybody's out trying to out mid-range each other Mm -hmm. we're not really going to want to take mono red into that yeah atmosphere because everybody's trying to out mid-range each other and the people we're going to play against are going to be these big mid-range decks that we can't really compete with yeah as long as they're still main decking their wild growth walkers then we we potentially have a problem there it probably what's funny is that it probably would have been an excellent day two deck yeah because if you can sneak mono red through into day two then all of a sudden i mean just look at the results you're playing against a bunch of mono blue and a bunch of Mm -hmm. uh white weenie which i think are good matchups for red but it just didn't make it there. There were zero copies in day two because I, I, I'm guessing that they just all got slaughtered by the heavy prevalence of mid-range decks that was um, yeah uh, in day one. Yeah, and I mean, it is a little odd because I have not felt like, you know, playing Sultai, even trying to be prepared for Mono Red. Although, to be fair, I, you know, long ago cut the moments of craving from my Sultai side. Right. <laughs> so I wasn't trying as hard to beat Mono Red as I could have. Maybe if you have access to those, it really, you know, it, it does bend the matchup in your favor. So, yeah, I, I can definitely see that. Um, one 
other thing that I think is a really big deal is like this is the weekend where the Nexus decks really kind of started coming into their own. Yeah. Um, you know, we saw a couple in top eight. Uh, it seems to... I think we hit a point where the Nexus pilots feel confident enough, the decks are tuned enough, mm-hmm. that they think, all right, I beat I beat the crap out of these mid-range decks. Yeah. Um, I have a great shot against White Weenie. Yeah. Red is hard because it's hard to beat Burn Spells with Root Snare. Yeah. Um, but, I, you know, I feel heavily favored to fine against literally everything that's not mono blue. Mm-hmm. I'll just forget that mono blue exists because I'm confident against everything else. And then I think the mono blue decks do eat up a lot of percentage by the existence of Nexus decks that have like a 10% matchup against them or something. <laughs> yeah, it's not great. <laughs> um, it, it does feel like those Nexus decks are slowly getting more and more tuned mm-hmm. into uh, something that we're going to see long, longevity in in the, this, the format. I think that the Nexus decks are definitely going to be a cornerstone of the metagame. Yeah. Um, and there seems to be quite a few cornerstones of the metagame. Uh, you know, if we're talking about just like decks that I would say are very reasonable to play right now in standard, then yeah. I think there are a, a bunch. There's like five, maybe even. At least. Um, yeah. So there's the Nexus decks, mm-hmm. um, mono white variants, mm-hmm. mono blue, Sultai midrange, Esper control, and. Am I missing any there? Well, I mean, like you might count Drakes as one of the decks. Drakes is fine. Yeah. You got to pick your spot for, for Drake's. Yeah. But, you know, especially if lots of people are playing mono blue, then I'm pretty happy to be. Drake's has a good mono blue matchup. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Um, and, you know, each of those categories has like a couple of variations. Like the Nexus decks, you know, you've got the Gates versions, you've got the Bant versions, you've got the Simic versions. I really liked the top eight Simic Nexus deck, John Johnson's. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think that list was really clean. Mm-hmm. You know, it's... Clean was exactly the word that I had in my mind, so I, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm happy that you used it. Just, like, look at all these four ofs. I mean, the four Search for Escanta is just, like, I snapped that off. That is perfect. <laughs> yeah, because um, that's just one of the cards that wins, you know yeah. what I mean? You don't need all these Teferis in your deck. Just have the better one. It's the better one Search. Yeah, yeah. It Before, uh, before Wilderness Reclamation was a thing, you clearly needed... A no mana investment source of card advantage in yeah. order to to maintain to chain your nexuses. You just have infinite mana with wilderness reclamation. Yeah, and search for Escanta digs you into more wilderness reclamations, and then it just is your engine. It's just the perfect like you you want one on turn two every game, and that means you play four. And I think this is just this is just a great list. Uh, you know, it has a lot fewer tools for dealing with something like mono red and it really doesn't have any maneuverability if it's battling against mono blue um you know the gates decks have the ability to sideboard into gatebreaker ram and that's a way to steal some games right um this deck just can't do that but it's so streamlined and it's so focused on its plan and frilled mystic is so good against control decks in the mirrors that yeah. yeah, and I it does have a juke plan. There, I, I believe that there are four biogenic oozes uh, hanging out on the sideboard. Um, which that's I, not going to be mono blue though. Oh no, certainly not mono blue. But uh, I did like that as like a 
you know, an alternative way of really utilizing the extra mana that you get off of Wilderness Reclamation in some, yeah. you know, if you assume that people are boarding out all their spot removal against you, bringing that in can really close out the games against um, uh, a lot of a lot of decks. For so. sure. I like this one of Sagittar's Volley in the sideboard. Like, maybe if I draw this, I can beat a terrible draw <laughs> out of Mono Blue. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's... Uh, it's rough though. It's rough. Yeah. It's it's if your opponent knows what they're doing, mulligans in place properly, I, I don't think this deck is capable of beating mono blue. Yeah. And uh I'm not gonna lie, I this week I've been kind of stepping my foot into uh arena a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um I was trying to grind up some arena rankings and I was playing mono blue and it is perfect for the early ranks of mono of the mm-hmm. um, of arena ranked because all of the early ranks are just like people playing either whatever or mid range piles. Yeah, and mono blue just eats all those runs up. Runs over. Them. Yeah, yeah. It's it's clearly good at the high ranks too right now. Still, Alexander Hain is not playing anything else, and he's maintaining number one mythic. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's pretty crazy. Um, he is a complete monster though. <laughs> Oh yeah, like good yeah. lord. Right, people. People have always kind of talked up Hain pretty mm-hmm. well. You know, they were always like he's you know one of the most talented players out there. Period. It's just really cool to see that you know see the numbers this time. It was just like oh yeah, Hain's testing a lot. And look, he's just it's just doing it's it. Just, just number destroying one. everybody. Yeah. Yep. So that's very cool, and it's really nice that the ladder brings some of. Our guy, like I, I don't know, I just like feel this like like attachment to like magic players that oh, have yeah. been on the scene, like that are this is their game and they've been doing Pro it. Tour champion yeah. Alexander Hain yeah, is exactly. crushing it on arena ladder. Of right. course he is. Right, yeah. that's so much better than like. And I I like new players coming into the game, and I love Hearth, that Hearthstone players come in and play arena and bring attention to it. Yeah, but I really want one of our guys to be a number yeah, one yeah, yeah. right, right. No, I understand. I I feel that. For sure. So that's cool. Yeah. Definitely. Sultai, still perfectly defensible. Yeah, Sultai is the best mid-range deck. Yeah. It's not particularly close. If you're trying to grind people out with mid-range cards, right. Right. play Sultai. The, the problem with doing it with any other colors is you're going to lose to the Sultai decks, so why why wouldn't you play Sultai? Uh, yeah. Dylan grabbed a top eight. Yeah. Um, so congrats to Dylan. Congrats to Dylan, definitely. Way to represent. Yeah. Playing, you know... Again, just adjusting the sideboard, like playing the same sixty that that he played that I played last weekend. Yeah, like like it's it's hard to adjust the main deck too much. Right. Um, there's things you can do, and I think we may be approaching a point where main deck like duresses or thought erasures is actually something you well, need to be doing. But. Yeah, I told Dylan that I thought that it would be a good choice for him to play thought erasure in the main, mm-hmm. um, uh, even this past weekend. Yeah, but he he told me. No, I just, I really like it clean. I think that the, um, it's just too important to have the Wild Growth Walkers in the main deck. Um, it just makes, you know, all of your matchups, mm-hmm. you know, game, it just makes your game ones better in general. Is yeah. what his, his thought process was, so. Yeah. Um. And I don't disagree, but I think that at some point, identifying the weekend where it's right to take the Wild Growth Walkers out mm-hmm. is going to be a, a chance to gain a lot of percentage. I believe so. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we have been doing that at certain times in ladder as well, mm-hmm. which has been fun. Yeah. <laughs> as, you know, um, I mean, that's, I don't want to talk too much about standard. Is there anything else that we want to mention here? Um, 
I think we covered all of the basic points. Okay. Um, it's standard seems to be uh, pretty healthy right now. Yeah, uh, I really like it. There isn't any one obvious best deck. I don't mm-hmm. think. Um, Mono Blue might be in consideration right now, um, but I just don't really see that lasting for very long. No, and that's one of the reasons I was very surprised by its success this weekend was because, like you said, it did get a lot of attention in the middle of the week. Mm -hmm. And I didn't think that it would be capable of surviving that much attention. Sure. I would not have shown up at Dallas if I felt like I were a dog to Mono Blue. Right. Um, And... And I think it's the power of the Nexus decks against the rest of the format that mm-hmm. allowed anybody to show up, even though they knew they were a dog to Mono Blue. Right. But I still kind of would have expected people to adjust, to bias their deck selection and card choices a little more towards taking this deck down just because of how much light was was shown on it. Right. Um, and the fact that, I'm sure that happened to some extent, but it wasn't enough to kill the deck, shows that the deck is pretty real. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it can survive some targeting um yeah i mean and there's only so much you can do to target a deck with a bunch of spell pierces and counter spells and the gates and stuff, true you know I mean? but i mean like we can play crawl harpooners in the sideboard of our sultai decks yeah, like, yeah, there's, yeah there's space to play cards that re- are really brutal for the deck and there's also choosing to play dauntless bodyguard and history of vanellia and beating them with those cards yes which... no that's been very nice yeah yeah that's been my latest uh <laughs> ladder deck has just been some dauntless bodyguards yeah if you hit that mono blue streak and just only play against that for a while people love playing that mono blue deck yeah. that's for sure <laughs> yeah um so cool but then, yeah, so that's standard yeah we have not talked about modern in a while so we've got a little catching up to do we do How's Modern been lately? Well, they banned Clark, Clark Clan Ironworks. Whoa, Have you heard really? about this? <laughs> wow, that's crazy. <laughs> and I said before that ban, if they ban Clark Clan Ironworks, and if Terramander turns out as good as I think it is, then Phoenix is going to be the best deck in the format. Yeah. And we've hit a point where it's not clear that Phoenix is the best deck in the format, but I think given the composition of the format that we're seeing right now, it's probably the most important deck in the format. Because mm-hmm. um, what we're seeing, if you go and you look at the GP Toronto results and you just sort of look at the decks that are doing well on Goldfish, it's a pretty different metagame and one that seems to have responded to the presence of Phoenix in a big way. Yeah, The, you know, the decks that are on top right now, the most highly played decks, are Grixis Death Shadow, Is It Phoenix, Dredge, and Burn. Yeah, Dredge is really hard for Phoenix to beat. Yeah, Burn is also quite hard for Phoenix to beat. It's kind of close, but they have a very specific plan that's difficult for Phoenix to interact with. Mm-hmm. Uh, Grixis Death Shadow played all the lists that I'm seeing now are playing four Fatal Pushes because Killing Thing in the Ice and then having an answer to the Graveyard shuts down what is it Phoenix is capable of doing. So I think we've seen a meta that has observed the presence of Phoenix and adjusted accordingly which I think is a really good way of seeing the power level of this deck, that it's yeah. really caused metagame ripples. Yeah. I think that is kind of the biggest indication of new decks being here to stay. Mm-hmm. Uh, whenever that happens, there are significant ripples in the metagame and very obvious shifts. Yeah. Um, and this time it was a little... Uh, it's a little less obvious that that is an indication that Phoenix is going to be is is that good because the other thing that happened that could have easily caused those ripples is 
of course, KCI being banned. Yep. That, you know, that's going to cause ripples. I, I'm um, much more... I'm much more likely to want to play Dredge in a format where I know I never have to play against KCI. Right. Yeah, yeah. Fair. For sure. Um, but, you know, I do think that the way that the metagame is shaping up is definitely an indication that people are respecting Phoenix. Yeah. And it's still having success. So It is. It yeah. is. It's still seeing significant play. Um, if we look at GP Toronto, there's two Phoenix decks in the top eight. Yep. We're also seeing kind of a diversity of phoenix decks that are available to be played if you want to so there's is it phoenix um some of these decks are running terramander now uh, i know i've seen several with like two copies i've seen a couple with four that seems like maybe a lot but uh i know uh, ross miriam was very skeptical of it but then played a couple of copies at baltimore and he said that every round they perform better than he thought they would so yeah. that's kind of you know, from someone who is skeptical of it and who is very comfortable with the deck, you know, that's that's yeah. pretty high praise. That is, yeah. Um, and so, you know, not universal adoption. You still see some Pyromancer Ascension versions. You still see some Swiss Sphere versions. But there are options available to the Is It deck of what you want to play. But we're also seeing Mono Red version with the the burn cards from Ravnica Allegiance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and we also saw Orion over Turfs. Uh, traverse the Ulvenwald version. Yeah, yeah. That ended up, you know, he ended up doing phenomenally with that deck. Yeah, took like, down so. the took down the team open with it. Yeah. Um. So that's definitely pretty cool. So one in a spell. Yeah, I, I think it's sweet. I think it's really awesome. I would. I'm looking don't forward think it's to good. trying. <laughs> I I don't think it has staying power. I think it's great if your opponent just has no idea what you're doing and you sure. get the extra phoenix. It doesn't quite sequence with getting an extra phoenix and then discarding it to loot it's hard to get that to work with the cantrips plus how i mean i'm assuming that turning on delirium in that deck isn't trivial either yes you gotta run for misha's bobbles and misha's bobble that's a that's atrocious in that deck (laughs) yeah yeah you like you have your thing in the ice in play and you cast it and don't remove a counter from your thing in the ice right you like cantrip into it and you needed to cantrip into a third spell that turn, and it's not only not a third spell, but it doesn't draw you a card that turn. It's... You can work around it, and you can try to hope to draw them early on so you crack it turn one and get that out of the way. But it's it's an in-the-way sort of card, and yeah. you're cantripping sequencing. Yeah. Um, not clean. Not clean. <laughs> and and that's kind of the thing, is that the deck is already quite powerful. The traverses don't help you beat when they do have surgical extraction. Right. That doesn't do anything there. I do like that it gives you access to a bunch of uh, crackling drakes while you only have to actually run one crackling drake, but you get to draw it every game if you want it, so that's right. kind of nice. I like that you get to board in Magus of the Moon and find that really easily. Yeah, yeah. But I don't really like just the way that it messes with your natural sequencing and cantripping yeah. and the fact that you have to run Misha's Bobble is not my favorite. Yeah, yeah, for sure. As a, as a long-time uh, fan uh, of Misha's Bobble, <laughs> uh, it does seem pretty bad in this deck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a deck that very very much relies on getting, you know, digging to a spell and casting it that turn. And, and Bobble gets in the way of that. Um, the mono-red decks, 
are pretty cool. They, they do a very different thing where they're running Skewer the Critics and Light Up the Stage, and they're really a burn deck that can trip into getting a couple of phoenixes in play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and a lot of times what the play pattern actually is is casting a phoenix on turn four and then using it as a way to beat, you know, oh, my opponent casts timely reinforcements, but that's okay. I can beat that because I have access to a long game plan of these phoenixes. Um, and so that's... I, I think that's really cool. And uh, the, the deck is quite powerful and less vulnerable to some of the stuff people are doing now that they know Phoenix is in the metagame. Like, they surgical your Phoenixes and pay two life for the privilege of doing that, right. and you are a burn deck? Yeah. That's Great. okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm in for that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because typically those Phoenixes end up in the graveyard, you know, incidentally. Mm-hmm. It's not like we're doing too much to go out of our way to put them there. You know, we're like casting a Faithless Looting or right. whatever. Right, so. which... You know, Burn doesn't love paying the card to cast Faithless Looting, but true. But you, you know, not drawing extra lands is like really good. So, yeah, for um, sure. Yeah, being able to flash it back is worth a card in my mind. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. It, it is. So I, I do think that this mono red deck is definitely a direction that is completely fine to pursue. Mm-hmm. That said, I it's hard for me to put something in the ice. As long yeah. as it's good, uh, then I'm, I'm mostly leaning towards the blue-red decks. Um, that's that's kind of where I want to be. Um, but, you know, metagames adapting to that sort of thing. There's a lot of fatal pushes. If we look at the top eight of GP Toronto, uh, we've got, you know, Grixis Death Shadow with four fatal pushes in it. We've got a Jund deck and a black-green deck with Jund with three fatal pushes or, or black green with three fatal pushes. I don't know why it says Jund on here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I guess it was technically Jund. Yeah. So so a Jund deck with three fatal pushes and black green with four fatal pushes. Like that's just the that removal spell has gotten a lot better again given the presence of thing in the ice. So. Yeah. Yeah. That definitely makes a lot of sense. Um, thing in the ice is one of those like weird you know power and toughness ratio cards where everybody's normal removal spells don't hit it. No. <laughs> so it, like, demands that kind of shift in the metagame of, like, oh, yeah, we have to play Path and Push now again. And I, I feel like that's definitely happened. Yeah. Um, okay, so this is not really Jund. So, so Siao's deck, both of the black-green decks are really just black-green in that okay. top eight. Um, Interesting. So very mid-rangey, which is honestly a lot less scary of a place to be in a format with no Kark Clan Ironworks. Yeah. You're just down to go mid-rangey. Yeah. Because, you know, you're not afraid of trying to play this grindy game against a deck that breaks all the rules yeah. in terms of grindiness. Yeah. Uh, and, and, I mean, I am not going to go so far as to register Tarmogoyf in a modern tournament anytime <laughs> soon, probably. Yeah. It, it feels a lot more defensible sure. at, at this moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Goyf, I feel like Goyf is one of those like balance check cards whereas like if goif is good in modern then modern's probably in a relatively reasonable power level position mm-hmm. if goif is not good in modern then often that means that modern is doing something next level yeah right um so it's kind of you know i i think that because you know if that's true then based on them printing new cards every three months goif will eventually get pushed out of modern mm-hmm. um and i think they were approaching that but it's kind of nice to see it like come back at least for a weekend to be like 
hey, right. you know, modern was reasonable this time. <laughs> uh, we played Tower Boy in one, <laughs> so uh, so that's that's kind of a funny thing to look at. There are as many Tarmogoyfs in this top eight as there are Arcolite Phoenixes. Great, so, phenomenal, fine. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, this is not a time to be playing spirits or humans. I think. Yeah. Either Valdex, especially humans, mm-hmm. uh, either Valdex suffer a lot from the just the raw, like, the density of lightning bolts in Is It Phoenix and the um, number of fatal pushes in these mid range decks. Yeah. You know, black green mid range is not a deck you want to. Yeah. There were a few people who told me that they liked humans uh, right now in the metagame, but I asked them all kind of specifically why, mm-hmm. and they all told me that they liked their Phoenix matchup. And I, I just can't see it. I don't think that humans can reso- realistically beat Phoenix very well. Um, because Not only because of the thing in the ice, but also just because of all of the bolts that they have access to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just like a, you know, it's like a high-density lightning bolt deck, and yeah. your creature deck just is going to have a hard time keeping up. Yeah. And, you know, one of the main ways that humans get at if you don't have the either ball on turn one, you have to have Hierarch or Champion of the Parish on turn one. The fact that they get to pay zero mana to gut shot that gut shot is really terrible for humans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not what you want to see. No, right. Oh. So much so that when humans was first becoming popular, gut shot became a sideboard option <laughs> for, out of every deck to beat humans. Right, yeah. right. Because that's, I mean, that's how you win games with humans: is you start killing them from turn one. And yep. you know, any hand that doesn't have a turn one play is a mulligan. Any right. seven card hand, certainly. If you have a way in your deck of turning their hands with a one-drop to just not having a one-drop at basically no cost to you, that's really good. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I, As a Phoenix player, I'm much more scared of spirits than I am of humans, and I still feel like I'm at least a little bit favored against spirits. So. Yeah. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense to me. Yep. So the other deck that's in modern that I want to talk a little bit about is uh, Burn. Yeah, Burn got some tools now. Burn's got a lot of new tools, and I definitely tested a lot of different Burn variants mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, the conclusion that I came to is that Burn is good. Mm-hmm. It's even better than it used to be. Sure, but it's still not. You know, it's not broken. Okay, I I was kind of worried that it that light of the stage and skewer would push it over the top. Mm-hmm. I but I it, the deck is just always. It's just the same re- kind of pretty reasonable strategy that it always has been. Yeah. Um, you know, it's definitely got its good matchups. It's definitely got its bad matchups. I guess what I'm trying to say is that the sky isn't falling because of Light of the Station no. Skewer. I, they seem to be pretty strong, reasonable additions to the modern format. Yeah. Um, and so. we're not even seeing universal adoption of... Uh, most of the burn decks now are playing Skewer. Yeah. Um, but a lot of the lists that we're seeing have not adopted light up the stage and they're sticking with red white rather than going for like bump in the night and just completely maxing out their one mana spells yeah um and they want to maintain that boros charm and lightning helix base of two mana instants and yeah. light up the stage is a little you know you want your curve as low as possible when you're you're lighting up the yeah. stage yeah i don't know that doesn't feel like you're maximizing your ability your to burn your opponent. Right. Yeah, I I heard somebody's argument, um, and I kind of heard this 
tertiarily through some other people. Mm-hmm. So I don't know who I don't remember who said it initially, but they were like, um, on average, light of the stage only translates into like three point something burn damage, but Boris Charm is always four. And I heard that argument for like against light of the stage and for Boris Charm, but it felt like they were completely missing the fact of light of the stage can hit you lands, and lands in burn are just as important as the burn spells mm-hmm. and it shouldn't really be understated that it, you know if you're if you have one of those like one lander openers and it's got a, a rift bolt um and a light at the stage or a goblin guide and a light at the stage those hands are amazing yeah. because you can hit your lands and continue to go from there mm-hmm. so the fact that you can hit your like you, even your like third or fourth lands uh, with the light of the stage can be huge in mm-hmm. terms of um, the velocity that you need to have with burn to be able to unload all of these burn spells. Even if they're one mana, you still need to be able to cast multiple on a turn in order to make sure that your clock is fast. Definitely. Um, the the biggest trap that I see with all these burn players, especially now that we're playing a, a you know high density on ones burn deck, is that they're like, oh, I you know just keep my one lander and I just burn them every turn, but. All of a sudden, your your clock is like seven turns, right. and that's just non-functional in modern. Um, you need the velocity and making sure that you can hit your land drops to explode, and Light of the Stage helps you do that, mm-hmm. where Boris Charm is a two-mana spell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's rough. Yeah, I mean, the worst hands with Burn are definitely the ones where you get caught with a bunch of two-mana spells mm-hmm. in your hand, and you just, you know, I've got three lands, but I can only cast one spell this turn, like... And the, the heavy one-mana spell builds really avoid that. Um, one other thing that is a little interesting is if you do go for the all one-mana spell, you know, the black-red version, you end up with very few instants in your deck. It's just bolts and searing blazes and then maybe a couple of shard volleys if you still have room for a couple of those, mm-hmm. um, which does make it kind of weird you know, like playing around counter magic or something like that. And your deck is just all sorceries and light up the stage is like a little bit clunky for those purposes. But it also makes it much harder for any of your spells to get dispelled post-board. Yeah. So I don't know that it's even like objectively worse that you're <laughs> mostly sorceries. Right. Because this just one mana counter spell against you doesn't actually do that job anymore. Yeah. So that's that's kind of an interesting thing that I noticed. It's true. Yeah. And if all of the burn decks shift into a more sorcery speed element, mm-hmm. Dispel suddenly becomes no longer a sideboard option in yeah. modern. I, so I don't think you bring That'll it, definitely be something that is adjusted. You you only bring it in if they have white sources in their deck right now. And yeah, yeah. If, if this becomes a deck, then yeah, Dispel just loses a huge amount of the reason to play it, for sure. Right. Yeah, the, the other thing I want to talk about with burn is that um, I think that people haven't quite figured out the best distribution of ones versus semi threes in burn where mm-hmm. the builds that i was working with were all pretty aggressively only ones or one alternatives mm-hmm. but i noticed that so many of my hands were like skewer uh light of the stage 
Riff Bolt, those hands kind of became clunky at a certain... Or not Riff Bolt, because... Yeah, it, Riff Bolt enables the other Riff Bolt it, it is an enabler there, but uh, I noticed that a lot of... Like, I think that I might have been going too hard mm-hmm. on these, like, fake fake ones, mm-hmm. and those can kind of clunk up together and not, not yeah. really work together as if well. If you draw all be. spectacle cards, then, it, then it's, it's definitely rough. a problem. Yeah. So that's definitely, you know, if people are kind of having trouble adopting these new cards... I think that that's a deck building consideration that we haven't really run into quite yet. It's just mm-hmm. not like something that we have too many defaults to run back on. It's like, oh, I'm playing the X uh, spectacle spectacle cards. That means I need this, you know, Y amount of enablers mm-hmm. for that. Where um, we just kind of like assumed it would work out, but ran into some clunkiness sure. that was unintuitive. Um, and that's one place where I really like the mono red phoenix deck because mm-hmm. it wants to run. A bunch of gut shots anyways to enable phoenix um, yeah but then they also work as spectacle enablers to like allow you to output quite a bit of burn for the mana yeah um and so those decks are just straight up running four gut shots and i think that's really good in that deck yeah i mean you know it definitely can be and if you ever play a matchup where gut shots good that's then, pretty <laughs> nice <laughs> um yeah. they're even going so far as to run four soul scar mages as swiss spears five through eight wow just because their spell density is so high and the the mana cost of their spells is so low and they want to get in those extra damage i mean and on the off chance they play against tarmogoyf you want to shrink it well yeah and and i mean that's a pretty real thing because for these kinds of decks tarmogoyfs and gurmeg anglers and things like that are pretty tough to deal with yep absolutely so you know now you attack with your school soul scar mage they can't block it with a Gurmag Angler. Right. Because... Because you'll just bolt it. You'll just bolt it, and it'll die. Yeah. Um, so that's pretty cool. You know, I don't think Soulscar Mage is, like, an incredibly powerful card. But right, yeah. It certainly matches up with what you're trying to do. In it seems to be strong in that context, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we kind of... You know, I hinted that we were going to talk about this a little more. I do want to talk about these were prison decks yeah just these artifact decks we talked about them a little before um they're really starting to pick up a little bit more now there's a second place finish in that grand prix yeah 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 um so with an ancient stirrings version you know lee was playing a faithless looting version that ran uh thopter sword combo um because you can discard sword to faithless and it's really nice yeah um (laughs) And it's, you know, who knows which is the more broken card between Ancient Stangs and Faithless <laughs> But You know, it's a toss-up right now. Yeah. But, so yeah, these prison decks are very good in the matchups where Ensnaring Bridge shuts down a lot of what your opponent is trying to do. Yeah. Um, so against both, like, Dredge and Phoenix decks, um, it's very strong. Against, you know, mid-range decks generally that are trying to attack you with Tarmogoyfs or even with Death Shadows... Um, it can do a lot of work and really put your opponent mm-hmm. into bad spots. I really like this version that we've got here that just runs for Chalice of the Void. Yeah. I think Chalice is really good right now. Yeah. No, I mean, for sure. It seems like, you know, listing out all the top decks, you've got Shadow, Phoenix, mm-hmm. Burn mm-hmm. as three of the four, you know, and, you know... Dredge doesn't care about any of that stuff, but but three of the top four decks where Chalice is really insane. Yeah. It's a good place to be. For yeah, sure. definitely. Yeah, and yeah, I mean the looking at these prison decks, they all feel really 
clean and tuned mm-hmm. because these decks have existed for a, a long time but i think kind of got overshadowed by kci while it was in the format mm-hmm. where you know just like all the all the mox players were just on kci because they understood it was busted yep um but kind of like secretly in the shadows <laughs> a select few people on magic online have been really really tuning this this prison deck and it the the product that i see now these days in modern is really impressive yeah yeah definitely um, yeah just the you know just the whole concept of have a lock piece and a couple of welding jars is you know it, it feels like an oversimplification oversimplification in some context but it's just so strong um i mean and Stang bridge is just a messed up card that yeah. should not should not be modern legal yeah like, it's it, it doesn't fit with modern design goals or aesthetics at all it does a thing that like creatures are a huge part of modern in general mm-hmm. and to just have a three mana card that's like well creatures attacking and blocking is not part of this game anymore is i you're fundamentally breaking the rules in a really powerful way yeah. so and, and you know having war of invention is like basically a demonic tutor that is instant speed and really lets you play these bullets uh the deck is really really quite powerful and the banning of kci both opens up a space for a new artifact deck people are running fewer stony silences and things like that because there's no kci and kci was not a good matchup for this deck right so you know the the space is definitely opened up for this sort of thing yeah it definitely feels that way yeah, I mean, these decks are, are definitely very strong. And I've seen a couple of different iterations of it. There's the Ancient Stirrings builds. Mm-hmm. I have seen a few Faithless Looting builds. I think that Lee's the only one I know who plays the Thopter Sword combo in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I that might be a preference thing. I don't know. I'll have to ask him. But uh, it was... I, I think part of it was a concession to like the team tournament sort of thing, too. Where there's sometimes you just want to like end the games and you yeah 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 and you're gonna have to some way yeah that's not if new rivulet right <laughs> it also gives you outs to someone having a shatter storm in their 75 sure if you're choosing to kill them yeah 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 um i tezzeret as a sideboard card tezzeret agent of bolus is phenomenal in these decks mm-hmm. um both just because it's attacking from a very different angle that your opponent might not be prepared for. It can kill very quickly. You know, Tron is not a good matcher for these kinds of decks. Yeah. Because it's hard to pithing needle everything they can do. Right. Um, Tezzeret is a thing that, you know, you can just, like, put it into play on turn three and start making five fives, and that's, like, a huge problem for a Tron opponent. Or you can use it to get value and then just, like, drain somebody out um, and it, it wins over your ensnaring bridge and yeah so so the deck has some tools and you obviously have lots of hate cards that you can tutor up and it does it does work very polarizing matchup profile though mm-hmm. the more planeswalkers your opponents have the less likely you are to be able to function right <laughs> yeah that's definitely fair um but yeah a choice to watch out for if this is yeah, I mean, I expect this to uh, to rise up into um, popularity once people kind of identify the the, the power level of the deck. Yeah, um, I, I think that it'll definitely be one of the one of the more popular options. Definitely in a couple of months. I think so too. 
less likely to be one of the more popular options, but something I do want to mention. Okay. Uh, we are seeing some number of Electrodominus living index appear yeah. in various spots. Um, I I saw kind of only uh, a couple of like very early iterations of these decks. <laughs> um and they seemed pretty sweet. It was, you know, some, like, Gorio's Vengeance mm-hmm. builds, and then some other, like, Living In builds and stuff like that. Yep. Mausoleum Secrets showed up in a couple of these. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm definitely going to be interested to see where it goes. Yeah. So the ones that we're seeing online a lot, like, these Comp League results and stuff, are kind of the more clean and obvious, sort of just plain is it colored decks that have cyclers. So, like, Curator of Mysteries, the 4-4 flyer that cycles for a blue... Stripe with a river winder, the five five hex proof, um, yeah. and they have as foretold an electro dominance for casting living end and mostly bringing back these cyclers. The fact that these early iterations don't have faithless looting in them means I think we've got a long way to go in developing what we actually are trying to do with these decks. Okay, um, I am confident that if this becomes something you want to be doing, it involves Faithless Looting. <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and one of the things that that also means is you don't necessarily need to be limited to cycling creatures as the things you're putting in the graveyard. Yeah. Probably you have some number of cycling creatures in whatever the deck is because they contribute to your living end plan and they shrink your deck size. Um, if while burn is a thing, you're less likely to actually want Street Wraith, but if life totals don't matter, you definitely want Street right. Wraiths in the deck. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that the ultimate iteration of this deck that ends up working, if this deck ends up working, is some more complicated thing. Yeah. And I, I like these explorations with Goryo's Vengeance. Um, I saw, you know, some people at Atomic were experimenting with, like, uh, Dragon Lord uh, Culligan deck. Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So that you know, you get like two dragons back and you kill them in one swing. Right. Um, I'm kind of interested in exploring like maybe like a Kiki Jiki angle. Okay. That's I like the concept of it because you can kill them without using your graveyard in post board games. Uh, and if you have your graveyard, you can living end back. You know both pieces of the combo. The problem is like then you're opening yourself up to being vulnerable to a a terminate or whatever, <laughs> right? Which yeah. is not not really what you want your living in to do. No, yeah. So so I don't know if it's something like you know we have this as a plan, but you know hopefully we're also just like getting back a grave titan too, so yeah, that yeah, yeah. that we have enough value. And that's that's hard because there's not a lot of redundancy for faithless looting. We don't really want to be running cathartic reunions or tormenting voices or whatever maybe is it charm is good enough i don't know exactly how we end up here but i think that some sort of like hybrid strategy that's not just cyclers that's doing something a little more powerful and has some amount of redundancy there maybe it's Gorio's vengeance related with gristle brands or yeah i don't know but yeah. but there's there's a, a high power level available here uh mm-hmm. it's just going to take some work to unlock yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the Gorya's Vengeance Grizzlebrand idea I liked because, uh, uh, well, A, it involved Faithless Looting, but B, right. uh, 
it, it just felt like one of those decks where you could have this like kind of combo strategy where a bunch of the different elements of the combos mm-hmm. work well with each other in different ways. Yeah. And that's kind of like, I don't know exactly what that looks like, but if we could take it in the direction of, oh, this time I drew A plus C, and I know that that works, mm-hmm. but the other time I drew B plus C, and I know that that works, and then, you know, the other iteration also works. Like, if, if we can find out... Way to make that kind of thing happen with our between our living ends and our electro dominance and our yep. Gory's vengeance and our faithless, you know, just like having so many of the of the variants of hands that we have work in some productive way. Yeah, that's like a the dream, right, for a combo deck for sure. Um, and you know, we might be stepping in that direction with electro dominance, mm-hmm. and that could open the doors up for something busted. But that's going to take a lot of yeah. testing and iterating and stuff like that. So. Yeah, and I'm wondering if maybe, you know, once we get Gorio's Vengeance in there, maybe we want Jace Vryn's Prodigy as well. Because sure. that's always worked really well. And that gives yeah. us another discard outlet right. for stuff. Yeah. And you maybe know. we want to be willing to allow this deck to play a longer game as well. And mm-hmm. maybe we bring in, you know, Ancestral Visions or mm-hmm. something that we can pair with our Electro Dominance. So, yeah. Um, I was pretty excited to try it with um, the, the Wheel of Fortune. But oh yeah, if, if you're doing that, you got to be winning that turn because you can't yeah. give your opponent seven new cards in modern. <laughs> no, right? <laughs> yeah, you're playing a burn and they like burn you a couple times. And you're like, all right, I did it. We both draw seven, and they're like, Wee! Oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> this is twenty points of burn. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So. Um, I also do like what some people have been doing in putting chalices into this deck. Okay, if you're not running faithless looting. Th- then sure. I think you just make this a chalice deck. Yeah. And that sounds really good to me. So. I could see it. Absolutely. So, yeah, options here. Um, but yeah, so that's that's where we're starting at with Modern. Honestly, I am going to do my best to keep uh, working on Phoenix decks mostly. I'm going to keep this Living End thing as a side project that I'll probably, you know, put some effort into. I'm down to tinker but, around with it, too. You know, I've been, yeah. I've been jamming so much Arena, and that's all <laughs> relatively <laughs> monotonous right now, so I need need some spice in my life. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm unlikely to be jamming Living End in one of these PTQs or at Regionals. Sure. But, you know. This but is, if I this break it. No. <laughs> yeah, if we break it, then. Yeah. If we break it, sure. Yeah. But yeah, so that's where we're starting at now, and I will be reporting back with further results next week for sure. Great. Great. Uh, For the rest of the show, I think we're pretty much going to be talking about just kind of the news we got about Magic Fest London. Um, And so the the big thing that people are talking about is mostly that it turns out that the pre-release for War for the Spark is scheduled for the same day as Magic Fest London, which is a Pro Tour and a GP, and it's a sealed GP, so it's like Uh, a pre-release GP. Is it going to be under the new set? So yes. So so it's the day of the pre-release, and the way they've changed the format of the Grand Prix. Okay. So now there's two flights on Friday and two flights on Saturday. And if you go six in one or better in a flight, then you make Sunday of the tournament. Interesting. Um, and then Sunday is another day of sealed, and you play seven rounds on Sunday. Okay. And then it's a cut to the top eight, which is a draft. Okay. And so that's the GP format. Um, one of the really weird things about it is that format necessitates that they that nobody gets buys in the tournament. 
Okay. Which I'm for. I don't sure. think that there should... I, I think the Planeswalker point buys are a bad thing in general. Yeah. Um, I think everybody should start a tournament off on even footing, pretty yeah. much. Um, but the thing that's messing me and most people up about these announcements is basically that people have been planning for this tournament. You know, it's a GP. Yeah. It's in London. Right. People love going to these London GPs. Right. And now all of a sudden the format's different. There's just a bunch of weird stuff. And people yeah. were going assuming that they'd have two buys, and now yeah. they do not. Right. Also, uh, this... And, and I don't know how true this is, but one of the responses has been how much this might be affecting UK stores, and that LGSs are potentially losing a bunch of their pre-release players to oh, this GP. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I know pre-releases are pretty big events and pretty big money makers for right. local game stores. Um, I don't know how many people actually get lost to a GP, but I know that some... You know, so I was a little skeptical of it when I heard community outcry, but then when I saw that there was like an open letter signed by several UK game stores saying, hey, we think this is bad for us, could you please like give us a pre-pre-release or something like that. I'm more likely to believe the actual game store owners who say yeah, this yeah, is yeah. probably bad. For sure, for sure. Yeah. So, you know, from what I've heard so far, it definitely sounds like the typical problems that we have with WotC announcements is that they were too late and too unexpected and uh, affect people in ways that we should have known about earlier. <laughs> yep. Does, does that sound familiar that about WotC announcement? really familiar. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know what? This is going to keep me... I don't go to many pre-releases these days. Yeah. But I would rather watch a pro tour from home than yeah. go to a pre-release. Right. So I'm not going to go to the War for the Spark pre-release at my Because you want to watch the pro tour. I'm, I'm going to watch the pro tour. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely a lot of strange things happening there. I... Uh, when you're talking about the new format of the Grand Prix, though, I kind of dig it. Yeah. I don't hate um, it. I I like the fact that there's a Grand Prix that is going to be played with a set that is just released, and yep. it's going to be your first opportunity to play with it. Cool. Um, I'm in for that. That's <laughs> something that I think a lot of people have even asked for a lot in the past. It's just been like, I really miss the old school days of when we could show up at a pre-release we had no idea what was in the set, and we were reading savagely <laughs> the cards. You know, like We're maybe transitioning a little bit you know, we've transitioned pretty far away from that yeah. at this point. You know what I mean? But this Grand Prix as, like, you know, a nobody's solved this yet. Right. Go for it. This is good. They're your first opportunity to play with cards, and it's Grand Prix level competition. That sounds pretty cool to me. Yeah. 6-1 and one is pretty tough. Oh, oh yeah. It's going to be a hard tournament. Yeah. For sure. Um, no doubt about it. But, you know, I like the format of it, but, you know, just, like, the same old complaints of, of every right. time about Watsi not handling announcements well. And I'm a little confused, because we don't know what the format of the Pro Tour slash Mythic Championship that's going on at the same time as the GP is going to be. Yeah. It's either going to be... I, I mean, so, since that's the pre-release weekend, War for the Spark is not going to be legal and constructed for it, I think. And are they going to be drafting War for the Spark, a format that they haven't had any opportunity to practice, or are they going to be drafting a set that's going to be four months old at that point? <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, Definitely a little odd timing on that one, for sure. So, 
right. yeah, I don't really know what's going to happen there. I I mean, I would love to watch them drafting a brand new set that they don't know how to play yet. <laughs> Same. I mean, like watching the best players in the world adapt to, you know, a completely new set yeah. would be kind of cool. I don't know how they feel about that. but Right. I mean, I think that the general consensus has always been from the pros, mm-hmm. we want to have time to test. Yeah. Because that's, I think, where they feel like they get a lot of their equity mm-hmm. is in the testing process. Um, that said, though, I did hear a lot of pretty positive reviews of the... what I don't remember exactly what this event was, but it was essentially like the culmination of the team series where they got to right. play with the new cards before anybody else and it was like and that was the deciding yep like you know matches of the finals of the team series were with these new cards that they only had you know that day to to test with or whatever yeah um and i did hear uh, like from some of those players that that event specifically was just one of the most fun times that they've had playing magic mm-hmm. um ever that's cool that that could happen yeah um but it, you know, if we're talking about Pro Tours, which also has all of these other very, you know, fundamental people believe that the Pro Tour should be a certain way, mm-hmm. and this is going against that, um, that's also going to get backlash. Yeah. 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 And that doesn't mean that it, you know, we are very used to the Pro Tour being a certain way, and any change to it can feel weird, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that change is bad. So that's that's definitely something that we need to keep in mind. Um, I mean, this does fit into that broader pattern of not enough information or too little, too late information. You know, as a reminder, we still don't have PTQs. Right. I I was talking to Lee the other night and we were just like, what's the next tournament we're playing in? And we realized that we just had nothing until regionals <laughs> right uh, except for like weeknight tournaments at local game stores we and, and we were just like how is that possible and then we realized oh well we would have just been playing in pbtqs this these weekends right and there aren't any but that just doesn't exist it just doesn't exist right um so that's it's getting to a point where it is really really affecting us we would have tournaments right now and we do not have these tournaments right and that's a bummer it's it's a big bummer yeah um and you know it I don't know. Got some nice announcements about Arena. Um, we're going to have best of three direct challenges. We're going to be able to challenge via Discord. So that's, you know, cool right. stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Cool testing tools. Um, uh, but, you know, we're getting... I mean, ultimately, a lot of the feeling that I'm getting is just this sort of pull away from supporting Paper Magic in favor mm-hmm. of supporting Arena. Yeah, it, I mean, it definitely feels that way, and I honestly believe that that will be the future of Magic. Um, That's really scary to me. Yeah. Um, my <laughs> A huge amount of my enjoyment, and the reason that I play Magic over Path of Exile, yeah, or yeah. Hearthstone, right. or World of Warcraft, mm-hmm. is because I go to tournaments yeah. with my friends, yeah. or I go and hang out in my friend's living room testing a deck with like or i just go to a game store and get a soda and hang out and watch my friends playing a game that's a gigantic part of why magic is good of course yeah i mean you know i've felt that way my whole life with all of the hobbies that i've really really invested into 
where um, Warhammer was such an enormous part of my life, Mm -hmm. um, you know, between the ages of 11 to 17 or whatever. And people would always ask me, I was like, oh, so you're like a gamer, you play video games. And I was like, no, 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 (laughs) I care about being across the table from a human being, (laughs) you know, that's what's important to me is that I want to be able to make those connections and talk to people. And, and that's what I get out of magic is that I get to go to these tournaments and talk to real new fun individuals. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's important to me is that's, I, you know, and and I can do that with my friends and the, the, the connections that I've made through all of that by being able to like go and talk to people is phenomenal and pretty much the whole thing for me. Yeah. So I, I get it. I, you know, I don't want to get away from that in any context. Mm -hmm. Um, the downside is though that, uh, you know, paper cards is not the future. (laughs) (laughs) Um, that's, you know, we're, we're, we're moving into the digital age and, um, you know, so maybe the correct solution is figuring out how to maintain the human connection that we get through doing these tournaments and everything, mm-hmm. but also facilitating that human connection through, um, you know, yeah. more, more sustainable means. Yeah. I mean, you know, esports doesn't hold a ton of appeal to me yeah i don't desire to get really into overwatch or get really into dota or anything like that Mm -hmm. it does because i i can't visualize getting out of it the things that i like getting out of a hobby right um and having magic as my hobby gives me a lot of things that you know i've played plenty of video games yeah yeah but there's nothing that I have ever kept coming back to the way that I keep coming back to magic. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think maintaining that human component somehow mm-hmm. is really important. I also really like shuffling up a physical deck of cards. <laughs> Something satisfying there. It's for really sure. nice. Yeah. 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 I, I I talk about you know fundamental human needs a lot in in many contexts, but specifically, I've always been blown away at how many of those checkboxes magic <laughs> fulfills you know community uh intellectual stimulation just like all of these things that i could list off that are just so fundamental to our needs that we need to fulfill in some way mm-hmm. magic checks off an extraordinary number of those boxes yeah and um you know and if all of a sudden it's a purely online game a lot of those boxes are going to go away I, and that's i agree i think detrimental yep yeah scary really scary yeah but yeah, yeah, I think I that's mean, our that's our thought on that. <laughs> we'll see. All we can do is like be noisy about it, I guess. <laughs> well, we're being relatively noisy right now. We're yeah. you know we're talking on a podcast. Totally. That's great. Um, so I guess we should probably move on to a Patreon question of the week. All right. So this week, Dubes asks, listening to the last cast near the end, talking about the Invitational and new people coming to watch Magic. You said you were already hooked, and that Watsi knows that they've got you. And I've heard this a lot as a reply to concerns people raise both online and also in real life. So I was wondering what series of changes would have to happen for Watsi to unhook you and not have you anymore. Uh, and, and basically he's saying that some of his criticisms have been met with, well, you're not going to stop playing, so your criticisms really don't matter. Yeah. And I, I think this is a really interesting thing to think about. What would it take... <laughs> What would it take for me to stop playing Magic? That's tough, because my initial reaction is that I, 
I, I just can't think of anything. You know what I mean? Like, I, if I'm thinking about it realistically, like any like crazy decision that Watsi makes, mm-hmm. I'm probably just going to keep playing Magic. And that, you know, what a what a what crazy a, realization. What a terrible relationship to a product that we're buying. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, I, if, in order for me to stop playing Magic, I, it would likely have to um, involve other elements of my life. Uh, forcing you to stop. Forcing me to, not, either forcing me or incentivizing me to mm-hmm. stop in some other way. Okay. I think that, I think that, you know, if I started a business or something and really took off on on making sure that I had to dedicate all of my time to to really making sure that that is facilitated appropriately, I could see myself stepping away from magic, right? Or some other crazy scenarios in my life happen where I'm, you know, have to dedicate time elsewhere. But so none Um, of these are changes that Watsi could make to the game that are pushing you out of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that, you know, I think that amongst the, like, there could be potentially significant changes within our community that Mm -hmm. make me incentivized to leave. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, if I believe that that got, like, too toxic or just, like, you know, my relationships crumbled with Mm -hmm. people, I could see, I could see that kind of thing pushing me away from the game. Okay. But just, like, anything that Watsi does... It reminds me of an old philosophy that I've had that I think I talked about in some of the earlier episodes of the podcast, which is, and I've kind of moved away from this philosophy in some aspects that I can talk about, but I used to really be adamant in saying, I don't care about what the game looks like because Mm -hmm. I view it as a puzzle. And, you know, even if you change the rules around of the puzzle, it's still a puzzle that I'm going to want to try to solve and I'm going to enjoy trying to solve, Mm -hmm. right? And that was my philosophy in regards to bans, specifically. Where, like, you know, people are talking about what's going to get banned and what's not going to get banned or whatever. Um, and for a long time, I just never really cared. Because, you know, if they don't ban it, then great. You know, the, the puzzle's solved and I can play it and I'll win. <laughs> right? Or if they do ban it, then great. Okay, new, new puzzle. puzzle. I'm, I'm down to solve this new thing and, you know, tackle this new metagame. And I, I, it's magic's just so easy to always have that philosophy with where it's just like... Whatever it looks like, whatever the format is, let's try to let's try to solve it. Let's try to figure it out. Let's try to get better at it. You know, all of these things. Yeah. Um, and and I think that I'm kind of leaning back on that again in terms of like if they if Watsi ever made any crazy announcements, like all right, now it's best of one, but you get free mulligans to seven. Mm-hmm. All right, new puzzle. Let's let's figure out and optimize this because you know if my argument is that oh this is too high variance. But, all right, magic's always been high variance, and that's never really stopped me before, <laughs> you know? Um, so, you know. Yeah, it's hard for me to imagine in-game changes that would really... You know, like, I've taken time off and come back. Like, this most recent having come back, like, I came back and the standards that I was playing through were Emrakul is the only end game mm-hmm. into either works Marvel is the only deck you can play right into energy is way more powerful than anything else into mm. black red mirrors are the only thing that you're gonna play and i stuck through that yeah even though i i hadn't been playing magic i just came back into terrible standard in after terrible standard right um and now well <laughs> finally i get to play standard and I'm yeah like, oh, there's yeah, a bunch of good decks this is great <laughs> yeah um but so yeah, even like bad magic is still magic that I want to be playing if I yeah. have the time and I have the people to play it with. Right. So yeah, like 
like the game going in a direction, the game itself going in a direction that I don't love is probably never going to be enough to to take me out of magic. Uh, I do think that, you know, if we got it announced that like, all right, all PTQs are going to be online. You, every, every qualifying tournament is through arena. Um, yeah. If you make it to a mythic championship, then you get to come play competitive paper magic. Sure. Um, if we get to that point, that's really going to be persuading me. I love playing arena, Yeah. but that's really going to make me not enjoy it as a hobby mm-hmm. and as a, a thing that I want to pursue. Um, yeah. You know, I'm sure that like SCG tournaments will still exist and I yeah. can still go, go to the circuit and that sort of thing. Um, and so whatever Watsi is pushing, maybe other companies will step up and fill the void and I'll create spaces that I want to go play in. You know, if we ever hit the point that Wizards is like, yeah, we just can't print paper cards anymore. Right. That's probably going to be a hard breaking point for me. Yeah. Yeah, that would be that would be pretty bad for sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that through this conversation, I think we both pretty well identified that how stuck we are. Well, A, how stuck we are, and then also B, the how much we value the community. Definitely. You know what I mean? Because because I think that's really it for me is that like if the community is still there. And the connections that I've made are still, like, the people that I love in the game are still going to be with me. Mm-hmm. Then, all right, bros and girls, let's uh, <laughs> play, play some best of ones, I guess. You know what I, I mean? <laughs> yeah, let's play this yeah. dual, dual standard thing, whatever right. we have to do in order to keep playing. Yeah, for sure. Um, it, it is, you know, I'm really, really hoping that we're not going to get our entire PTQ system replaced by arena only. Yeah. Because I don't, you know, not that I love going to PPTQs. Um, They're not my favorite way to spend a Saturday because the value does feel very low and that sort of thing. But I do think having tournaments where people from the area show up to and meet each other and that sort of thing is really important and valuable. You know, how, how can there be a triangle magic community if everybody plays magic by trying to qualify by sitting in front of their laptops and playing arena yeah that just can't exist anymore right yeah so you know these are all things that that we've been talking about (laughs) but it it is important to me yeah absolutely all right well i think that might might just do us for this episode yeah I, i think that's that's pretty much it um so yeah Thanks so much to everybody for listening. Really, really appreciate your time. Uh, if you want to lend us some support, you can find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash mtggrindcast. Really appreciate any help you want to give. Um, definitely helps us keep doing this. It will always be free, but any support you give definitely allows us to keep making content and hopefully start coming up with some, some new stuff, some new ideas, that sort of thing. Uh, and you can come hang out on the Discord, get some tokens, that sort of thing. Uh, you can also hit up our Patreon by coming to our website, mtggrantcast.com. We've got links to our Patreon there. We've got links to all the episodes, uh, as well as to Collins's coaching services. Um, find us on Twitter. I am tweeting from at CCR underscore Grindcast, and Collins is also on Twitter, at Collins Mullen. Thanks again, and have a great week. Peace.